Psalm 39. Go ahead and turn there. We might look, well, we actually probably will look at a few New Testament passages because David's pondering some things that are answered in the New Testament for us, but uh, primarily Psalms 39. Go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for such a beautiful day outside. And uh, more importantly, though, thank you for this day, the Lord's day, that we can gather as the people of God and worship you. Father, we are so thankful that you have revealed yourself to us so wonderfully and so clearly and fully in the person of your Son. So thankful, Father, that We have heard the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ and so thankful, Father, that your grace has moved on our hearts and brought us into a relationship with you through him. And I pray that as a a people that have been born again, that we would be very quick to open our mouths and sing your praises and tell people the good news that we have received uh, too. Father, thank you for the word uh, that lays open in our laps now. Uh, Thank you, Father, that you have loved us enough to speak to us clearly. You were not made with human hands, Father. You are eternal, and uh, you have spoken very clearly to your people, Father. So thank you for the word, and I pray, Father, that we would treasure it. And I pray that as we hear it tonight, that we would respond with humility, understanding that it is teaching and training us to be the children of God. But we'd also hear it thankfully. Uh, knowing just what we have in your word. Lord, we praise you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we come to Psalm 39 tonight, and Lord willing, we'll be back in Psalm 40. But I do appreciate how we started out this month, and of course we're going to continue that for a while. I know the men had a tremendous time in prayer uh, the first Sunday night of this month, and I'm already looking forward to the first Sunday night of next month. I'm just with anticipation. And then I hear the women likewise had a good time in prayer uh, last Sunday night, so I'm very thankful for that, and I pray that the Lord blesses our time with that. But the plans are the last couple of Sunday nights that we'll spend in the Word that'll give us two consecutive weeks in case we have left over. But that being said, my intention is to do 39 this week and 40 next week because 37, 38, 39, and 40 are kind of together. And so you get a better picture if you look at all four. So not only will I talk about 40 next week, I'll try to lump all four of them together. Because it seems as though it's one thought. Uh, it seems as it's one circumstance in David's life. And he, he just makes this arc of understanding and gets to the other side of this thing. And so when you get to 40, it's all rejoicing. He's like, I've gotten to the other side of this thing. I'm praising him. 39, we're still in the bottom. In fact, 39 is unusual because we never reach a a high point. He's always down. And you know how these psalms go. We start out hard. We start out broken. We pray through it. We work through it. And the Lord brings us up on the other side in most of the psalms. And this one, no, we're never coming up. But don't let that drive you too far low. 
just realize that next week we're coming way up. We're coming all the way up on the top as we talk about these things. So I want to read 39, but I want you to see, I'm amazed. I love wisdom. That's one of the most wonderful treasures that the Lord gives us. And you do realize you can't just sit back apathetically and He just poured that on you. You know, we seek and we ask and we knock and we find. It's kind of that pursuit of wisdom. And that's something that you ought to be praying for feverishly in your lives because your lives are constantly filled with the decisions that you have to make and you're constantly so busy with your kids and they're growing up before your very eyes and you need a tremendous amount of wisdom. And that doesn't come per se through experience because we all know much older people that don't have a half an ounce of wisdom. So you can't just sit back and go, okay, it's going to come to me the older I get. No, that's not the case. Experience is useful, but experience has to have the foundation of truth. Okay? So not only do you have to spend time in the Word of God, but you also have to pray that the Lord will help you understand the principles and apply it to your life so you can live this out. Okay? And it's a wonderful thing. I don't claim any stretch the imagination to be to have some sort of elevated wisdom. Not, that's not what I'm doing. But I do hear it sometimes come out of my voice and I'm probably just as surprised as anybody when it actually comes out. And I quickly thank God for it because I realized it didn't come from me. But to have the conversations that Paige and I are having with our kids now and for them to ask questions and us be able to respond biblically, I'm telling you, it is a treasure. It is an absolute treasure to speak truth and have them hear that, understand that, and walk in that. So what you have in your lap is a treasure. You know that. But not only do I want you to study it, but I want you to pray that the Lord would help you understand it and apply it. And we usually say the phrase, live it out. And I, I want it to be more than that. I want it to be the foundation behind your thinking and your speaking. And that's not a natural thing. Again, that is a supernatural thing as we look in the Word of God. Now, the reason I mention all that is because I'm amazed at the wisdom we find in this psalm. David is at a, a very low point, uh, and he's praying through it. He's talking with the Lord, but he asks some, the Lord some things that I just, I don't believe you would ask unless the Lord had already put that kind of wisdom on your heart. He asks things that are absolutely profound. Well, I think the majority of time, you and I would be given over to whining. We would be given over to, woe is me, why is this happening? This is just terrible. And everybody we talk to, we just tell them how bad it is. He, he's not doing that. He's asking things from the Lord that we need to be careful of, understand, and then apply in our own lives as we walk through gravely difficult times. He's not just having a bad day here. I don't think there's principles here that you can apply Monday morning when you walk in and you realize it's Monday morning. I don't think that's what this is for. I think this is for those critical moments in life where you understand that I'm very low and I need the Lord to lift me. And these are the sort of things that David's teaching us as we walk through this. So let me read it to you and then we'll talk about some of these things. Psalms 39, the first verse for the choir director for Jeduthun, a Psalm of David. I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. 
I will guard my mouth as with a muzzle, while the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent. I refrained even from good, and my sorrow grew worse. My heart was hot within me. While I was musing, the fire burned, and then I spoke with my tongue. Lord, make me know my end. What is the extent of my days? Let me know how transient I am. Behold, you have made my days as a handbreadth, and my lifetime as nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. Surely every man walks about as a phantom. Surely they make an uproar for nothing. He amasses riches and does not even know who will gather them. And now, Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Make me not the reproach of the foolish. I have become mute. I do not open my mouth because it is you who have done it. Remove your plague from me. Because of the opposition of your hand, I am perishing. With reproofs, you chasten a man for iniquity. You consume as a moth what is precious to him. Surely every man is a mere breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my cry. Do not be silent at my tears. For I am a stranger with you, a sojourner like all my fathers. Turn your gaze away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. So I told you it's very somber. Uh, we're not going to get to the other side of this thing until we get to Psalms 40. But David starts out with one of the most profound things that we desperately need to be reminded of, and that is the closing of your mouth. Notice how he begins, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I'll, I'll put a guard over my mouth. I'll put a muzzle over my mouth. So David is certainly not going to give in to this desire, I'm sure that's well within his heart, just like it's well within all of our hearts, to begin murmuring and complaining about his circumstances. Things are bad, so David falls silent. Now we know about all the warnings that come in the book of James and those sort of things. Let me read just a few of them to save you from turning to that. James 3, verses 5 and 6, So also the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it boasts great things. See how great a forest is set afire by such a small flame. The tongue is afire the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. We understand what damage the tongue can do. In fact, I think if you understand James right, literally the most damage we do in life is with our tongue. Plumer makes this statement. He has such a way with words. Unguarded ways are genuinely unholy ways. Think about that. Unguarded ways are unholy ways. And so when we find ourselves to where we are at a low point in our life, you need to retire with the Lord very quickly and get your affairs in order. And I'm not talking about because you're about to die. I'm talking about because you're about to sin. Because when things go south, it seems as though we just run to sin. Like, and that's like the worst thing we can do. David withdraws and he gathers himself together and he says, okay, number one, I'm going to put a muzzle over my mouth. 
because I'm afraid that I'll speak in a way that will dishonor the Lord. Now look at the next phrase because his silence is, is, is super important. I will guard my mouth as with a muzzle while the wicked are in my presence. Why is that so important? Answer that, Jeremy. Because he doesn't want to. Uh, he doesn't want to say something he shouldn't in front of someone who's not a believer. He doesn't want to. Got to be careful. I mean, it's bad enough, and there are enough passages, especially in the Old Testament. We could go to the Old Testament where the children of Israel murmured and complained, and then God poured out His wrath on them for not trusting them and walking with them. When they couldn't find water, they couldn't find food, they were just given over to murmuring and complaining. Okay, David puts a muzzle on his mouth because he understands where he's at. He understands he's in a dangerous position, but he also understands that he's in the presence of the unbeliever. And that compounds this sin. It's one thing to murmur with the Lord. In fact, you can catch David doing that at particular times in the Psalms, I think. He's certainly making the Lord know what's in his heart. But David understands, man, that's a terrible idea to open up your mouth in the presence of unbelievers. Now, if y'all are like me, in the morning, you're going to be around unbelievers. You can't walk into that unprepared. If you walk into that, like Plumer says, unguarded, be rest assured, you're going to be unholy. And so when things are not going well, when things are pressing down on your inner man, it is time to pause and pray and ask the Lord to take reins over your lips and your tongue in order that you might speak in a way that glorifies God in the presence, especially of those who don't know the Lord. What kind of testimony is it if we sound like them when we're in difficulty? What kind of testimony is it if we say the same things that they say when things are difficult? That's no testimony at all. At that point, there is no difference in your life. And the greater the difference in our life, the more powerful our testimony is. And you don't have to manufacture that difference. If you laid a hold of what I was trying to communicate this morning, there's a tremendous difference in your life because of your union with Christ. I'm not asking you to manufacture things, and I'm not talking about the power of positive speaking at all. That stuff drives me weird. That's just weird. I'm just talking about someone who speaks because they trust the Lord. And if you're in a circumstance and you genuinely trust the Lord, what you say is going to be very different than somebody who does not know the Lord. So the first thing that David draws upon is absolutely profound. But we also have to remind ourselves that I'm not just trying to encourage you. I'm also warning you. Matthew 12 verse 36 says this, I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. Plumer says something to this effect. If we believe this to be true, we would probably speak a lot less and be more careful with the words that we did speak. Think about that. If we really did believe that God was very concerned about every word that came out of our mouth, we wouldn't talk so much which I laugh when I think about this. Who do we know that speaks the most? Preachers. They probably should say less than anybody if they understand that principle. They should be very quiet people. 
But all of us, if we'd get a hold of that, would be very quiet people or we'd be really slow to speak. Paige's dad used to drive me crazy. He did this. He thought about his words before he said to him. How profound is that? And you're just like wanting an answer, wanting an answer, wanting an answer. And I'm like three sentences on down in the conversation. And he's going to go back and answer the first thing I said. But that's very useful wisdom to be thoughtful of your words and thoughtful of your responses, prayerful about your responses and respond in a way that glorifies God. That takes me some time. You might be able to do it off the cuff, but I can't. Right. So be mindful of the warning. Every careless word that people speak, they will give an accounting for in the day of judgment. So not just while we're joking around, we need to be careful. But when things are not well with you, be very careful. Because more than likely, you'll wind up complaining rather than honoring. Okay? Now, as wisdom goes on, David's not silent for too long because it seems as he's moved out of the presence of the wicked into the presence of the Lord. I was mute, I was silent, I refrained even from good. My sorrow grew worse. My heart was hot within me. And while I was just musing or meditating, if you will, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue and what does he say? Lord. Okay. We found ourselves where we need to be. We're out of the presence of the wicked. We're out of the presence of anyone for that matter. I take it. And we turn to the Lord and look at his next few words. Make me to know. I could stop right there and finish this sermon. Because if you get that part, you don't have to listen to anything else I say. If you could just simply understand, there's often times that you need to go to the Lord and just say, I need to know. Whatever. I need wisdom. In fact, again, we could turn to the book of James and talk about the need we have for wisdom and how we should ask for wisdom. So David's in a situation he doesn't understand. He had enough spiritual sense about him to fall silent, but then he turns to the Lord and he says, I need to know. And he needs to know something particular that we'll talk about just in a second, but I don't want to bypass that wisdom. Uh, we got situations in all three of our kids where they're asking that particular question for three different reasons, all three of them. And we really encourage that. We don't answer that question. Paige and I have been very careful. I'm not answering that question for you. But you do know who to ask the, that question to. And you have to continue to do that as an adult. And the younger that you figure that out, the wiser you will be. Don't be so foolish as to rely on your own wisdom. Be wise enough when you're young to go to the Lord and say, I need to know. Whatever it may be. And I promise you will gain wisdom because that's experience and truth. And you put those two things together, you're going to be wise. You need both of those. But what David asks is something that I dare say that you think about not at all. In fact, I don't, I don't know that if you think about these things until you get older. The question that he asked, notice verse 4, Lord, make me know my end. What is the extent of my days? Let me know how transient I am. Behold, you've made my days as a handbreadth, and my lifetime is nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. So what's the, 
first thing David asked God for. I need to know how short life is. That's, would you have thought to ask that? It's not about the specific issue that's going on. He simply wants to know how quickly life goes by. Now, why would you want to know that? I've got my answers. Why do you think it would be good to know that? Puts whatever you're going through into perspective. Yes, sir. That's a very good answer. All of a sudden, you've gained a whole new perspective. Because no matter what it is, it's going to be brief. Because just in a little while, I'll be with the Lord. So automatically, whatever circumstance, you just, you made it insignificant. Because when you bring it into the scope of how long life is, and you understand how brief life is, all of a sudden, that problem is not all that significant anymore. What else have you done? You ever reach a point in life, let me help you along with this, where you have to sit down and prioritize some things? Because things have just gotten way out of hand. Overcommitted, overburdened, worrying about 12 different things and you got 12 irons in the fire. If you begin to understand how short life is, let me tell you something. You can pull some things out of the fire and throw them in the trash pretty quick. All of a sudden you look at life and go, wait a minute. Things have gotten way out of hand. Life is too short for this and for that and for all these things that I've got going on. See, that's another advantage in your life to sit down with the Lord and, and, and be reminded by Him how short life is because you can get your affairs straight pretty quick. Because why in the world would you want to rush and rush through life being so busy and not spend time on some of the most valuable and the most important things? Isn't it amazing how many times we come back to that idea in the Psalms? I feel like I repeat that like every other time we're in the Psalms. But time is a big issue in the Psalms. Now, why is it that you don't think about how brief life is until you get older? You know why I think it is? Because now we've just now had time to think about that. Don't do that. Y'all are young. Your kids are young. Think about it now. Because I don't think it's ever even cross page in our minds until the kids were gone. And you sit down and we talk about it often now. How brief life is. It is a breath, right? I, I promise you this. If you go ahead at y'all's age and ask for that wisdom and gain a perspective about the brevity of life, the quality of life, meaning the God-honoring stuff will grow and the insignificant stuff will fall away because you go, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've got just a few days here. I'm going to absolutely... Glorify God to the most with them. I'm not wasting any time because it's so short. So let me encourage you, please, while you're young, stop, get with your spouse, sit on the back porch, pray. Because you, I don't want you to just sit out there and just think about it. Life's short, life's short. Life, that does no good. Ask the Lord to put that principle into your own heart to weave it into the fabric of your life. And if that is there, you think about every conversation that you're going to have going forward. Life is brief. This conversation matters.
I need to talk about things that are going to glorify God. And I certainly don't need to be talking about things mumbling and complaining because my pitiful, poor circumstances. All of a sudden, all of your interactions become so much more valuable. All of a sudden, the time with your kids becomes so much more valuable and meaningful because you understand, man, this is going to be, this is going to be, this is going to be fast. And I've got to make the very most of it and honor God with it. Again, I'm amazed at the wisdom that David's pouring out here in the midst of his problems. Look back at verse, what, what are we on? Verse 6. Surely every man walks about as a phantom. Surely they make an uproar for nothing. He amasses riches and does not know who will gather them. Let me catch up in my notes. Um, Jeremy, Ecclesiastes 2, Johnny, Luke 12, Tyler, James 4. We talk about this so much, and again, this is another one of those things we, we come across in Psalms. But you talk about the priority of life right here. David makes the connection between the brevity of life and the pursuit of things. And he comes to the conclusion, man, that's really dumb. Because at the end of life, as brief as it is, all the things that you did amass, you're going to turn and hand it off to a bunch of kids who are fighting over it. Right? Why would you even do that? Why would you spend time doing that? That's of absolute no value. And, you know, so we're just ahead of y'all on the curve. And then some of us are, are a little ahead of us in the curve. Um, and so we're looking at Inheritance, physical, leaving the kids. And we're also looking at spiritual inheritance, leaving the kids. Guess which one we want to leave? That's, that's easy. That's easy. And there's no way that I would swap one for the other. If I don't have a penny to leave, I really don't care because we're working hard on the other side of the equation. We want to leave a spiritual inheritance to the kids. Our lives are given right now to prayer and speaking truth into their lives in order that they might start where we are now and just climb higher and go further with the Lord. So David comes to this realization too. And he's like, ah, life's short. And you think about it, he's a king. I was... Kind of joking about that truck this morning. I sent those guys the link to it this morning. Uh, but he's the king. He, he could buy 12 of those. He could buy every color. Uh, he can do anything he wants. He can have a, a house in Italy. He can have a... He's the king. And yet the king comes to this same conclusion. I can do anything I want. But I also understand that life's so short, none of that matters at all because of the brevity of life. Listen to some of the, the wisdom that we find in Scripture. Ecclesiastes 2, 18 through 23. I think, Jeremy. Thus I hated all the fruit of my labor, for which I have labored under the sun, for I must leave it to the man who will come after me. Anyone who knows whether he will be wise man or a fool, yet he will have control over all the fruit of my labor, for which I have labored by acting wisely under the sun. This too is vanity. Therefore, I completely despaired of all of the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun. When there is a man who has labored with wisdom and knowledge and skill, 
then he gives his legacy to the one who has not labored with him. This too is vanity and is a great evil. For what does a man get in all of his labor and his striving with which he labors under the sun? Because all of his days, uh, his task is painful and grievous. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is vanity. So who's talking? <coughs> Solomon. And he said, with all the wisdom and all the skill, I went after these things and I built these things. I even missed sleep thinking about these things and constructing these things. So when it came to die, I gave it to the man who lacked wisdom and he lacked skill and he slept well because he wasn't concerned. And he said, man, this is foolishness. And see, David's praying this because he's like, Lord, impress this upon my heart so I don't get caught up in these things. Using such profound wisdom and skill and hard labor just to hand it off to the man who's never labored. That's a waste of time. Okay. Luke chapter 12. Johnny, did I give that one to you? 16 through 20. Same principle applied to a parable by the Lord Jesus. And this one hits home. I mean, this one's a little more realistic. Because the more you amass, the more you build to hold all the stuff that you've amassed. And the Lord says, you fool. You didn't know you were going to die when you were 50. I bet if you knew that you were going to die when you were 50, you wouldn't spend so much time building all those barns. You'd have spent your time a little more wisely. And you had cared a little bit more about every situation and conversation and relationship in order to glorify God and bear fruit that mattered. See, that's the part about the transient life. We don't know. You have absolutely no idea how long we will live. We don't even think about these things. And yet David sat down and said, Lord, I need to think about these things to impress them upon my heart. I won't go further with that. I don't see any need in digging a hole because you understand that. James 4, verse 14, Tyler. Loss of vapor. And you know, we're, I'm figuring this out as well. And I didn't get it with wisdom. I didn't ask the Lord for it. I'm just figuring it out. You know, the older you get, the less you feel like doing, the less you're able to do. Why in the world would you spend your better years when you do have strength in your back and you do feel like doing things? Why would you use all that energy to do things that don't matter? Why would you burn up all those energies on things that simply don't matter eternally? While you do have strength, use that strength to do things that truly matter. Because it might be that you draw upon old age and you're physically incapable of doing those things, right? 
Anyway, again, this is wisdom that the Lord gives us. It's, it's a principle that rests in our heart by the grace of God that moves us forward in life. If, if you don't have this written on your heart by the Lord, you'll go back to doing foolish, unfruitful things 24-7. But if the Lord writes it on your heart, what David is requesting of God, then all, the th all of a sudden things begin to change and you begin to do differently. Verse 7, he comes out of, the flow here is my favorite part of the Psalms. He comes out with how brief, verse 5, notice this, Behold, you have made my days as a hand breadth. Jeremy, I think, probably knows this. That was the smallest measurement for a carpenter. One. That's as small as they could get when they were building something. I actually found a guy online that woodworks that does hand breadths. It's pretty cool. But that was the smallest measurement. David says, my life is the smallest measurement. You can measure my life with the smallest instrument, right? And so he flows out of that thought into verse 7. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. If life is short, what matters more than anything? Our relationship with God. That's the number one reason that you want the brevity of life written on your heart because you will continually be reminded that all I have is the Lord. That is the most important thing. You know, I asked you the question last week, and I wanted to go back to it this morning, but I knew we didn't have time. But I asked you last week, if God did everything that He did in and through the person of Christ, how is it that we've managed to live the majority of our lives apart from Christ, without any consideration to Christ. How do we do that? David's reminded of the brevity of life and his heart immediately turns to the Lord. He says, all I've got to you. That's the same thing that you have to come back to every day and stop living life without ever thinking about the Lord, without Him ever crossing your mind. I'm afraid at our very best, we think about Him when we wake up and we think about Him when we fall asleep. Sometimes it's worse than that. We're, we're so, we have so much going on, we can't think about Him when we wake up. And we're too tired to think about Him when we go to bed. And so we wind up spending an entire day without ever drawing near to the Lord in our thoughts and in our hearts. Boy, that's a miserable day. David's like, just keep reminding me of the brevity of life so I will continually be turning toward you. Because you're all I have. Now, if the Lord is all that we have, what is the only thing that can hinder our relationship with the Lord? What's the very next verse? Deliver me from all my transgressions. Man, the flow of this, it's something. I need to think about how short life is, Lord. Now that I'm thinking about that, my thoughts are absolutely filled with you because you're all I have. Wait a minute. If you're all I have, the only thing that can hurt my relationship with you is me. And David's reached this. And I could back up into other songs when you get, get back in, in 37 and 38. And David asked the Lord to remove his enemies. Because he's like, my enemies, Lord... Let me look back at one real quick. Look at 38, 19. 
38, 19. My enemies are vigorous and strong. Many are those who hate me wrongfully. There are those who repay evil for good. They oppose me because I follow what is good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, do not be far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. But when we get to 39, you're not going to find this. Because David's realized, I may have enemies, but they don't keep me from the only thing that I have in a relationship with the Lord. An enemy can't do that. Circumstances can't do that. Sickness can't do that. Nothing can keep me from the one thing that I have except myself. And that's why he goes, brevity of life, the Lord is what I need. Wait a minute. Deal with my transgressions because that's keeping me from what I need in a relationship with you. Now you can see why David is wrestling with some things that we get answered in the New Testament. Because through the gospel, all of our transgressions are removed off the table, just like I told you this morning. And we come into an unhindered, full access relationship with God through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I bet if David understood the gospel in all of his fullness, we'd probably have a hundred more psalms just singing and shouting and praising because he's like, God figured it out. God figured it out. My transgressions have been removed. Now I have absolute unhindered, complete access to God anytime I want. And I can approach the throne of grace boldly. But David's still wrestling with these things. But you need to understand these things as well because we wrestle with sin. And so let's just say, Tomorrow morning starts the battle again and you're not doing so well in wrestling with your sin. Oh, that's not good because that sin's keeping you from the only thing that satisfies you. And that's a relationship with the Lord. And you've drawn upon the idea that life is so short. Now, let's back back through that. If life is so short and God is what I need, then you don't have to worry about my sin. I'll deal with it tomorrow. Or better yet, I'll deal with it right now. And you find yourself on your face repenting, confessing your sin before God and asking forgiveness because life's short and you need to deal with it. That's why he says in verse 8, Deliver me from all my transgressions. Make me not the reproach of the foolish. How foolish is that for a believer to know these truths and yet continue in their sin? Verse 9, I have become mute. I do not open my mouth because it is you who have done it. Remove your plague from me because of the opposition of your hand. I am perishing. Now David goes from, there's not a lot left here, so don't let me, don't let me run past your attention span. But it's interesting. I'm going to put a muzzle over my mouth because I know I'm in a bad situation. I can't stand it anymore. I'm taking the muzzle off and I'm going to go talk to the Lord. And in speaking to the Lord, he realizes, wait a minute, the circumstances and the difficulties that I'm in, you did this. And he falls silent again. Because he realizes if the Lord's done it, the Lord is the only one to remove it. And we're certainly not going to complain to the Lord about something that we're convinced he's brought into our life. I said that jokingly. I know we would, but we ought not because of what the Lord does. He works all things together for the good 
of those who love Him and are called according to His purposes, right? So we can rest in knowing this. It doesn't matter what the circumstance is. If we've turned to the Lord, we can trust the Lord that He's going to take that and make us more like Christ through that. It doesn't really matter what it is. It's all redeemed in our relationship with the Lord. Every bit of it. The worst sorrows and the greatest despairs and the most painful moments are redeemed by the Father and worked for our sanctification. Right? Verse 9, again, I've become mute. I, don't not open, I do not open my mouth. It is you who have done it. But yet he wisely makes the request, remove your plague from me. Because of the opposition of your hand, I am perishing. Verse 11, with reproofs, you chasten a man for iniquity. You consume as a moth what is precious to him. Surely every man is a breath. So David understands his difficulty has been brought upon him by the Lord. Now let me ask you this. What has God accomplished in David's life through this difficulty? Walk back through the psalm. whole lot of wisdom. Number one, I went to the Lord and I asked him to remind me of the brevity of life and he did. Number two, I was reminded that the Lord is all that I have. Number three, I was reminded that the only thing keeping me from the Lord is my own sin. Lord, deal with my sin that I might draw upon you. Now let me ask you something. Would you consider that circumstance or that difficulty worth it? if you had gained all that ground. I mean, what are you after? Are you after health and wealth and prosperity? Are you after being more Christ-like? And see, if we're really after being more Christ-like, we look at all that the Lord accomplished through this difficulty in David's life, and the only thing we can say is, praise the Lord, thank you for this difficulty. I have gained much ground in wisdom and understanding. See how this works? So it's a good time to draw upon the Lord and go, okay, wait a minute. If that's true, then I need to reevaluate how I walk through difficult circumstances because I've gained new wisdom and insight from Psalms 39 and I need to understand the Lord is teaching me. He's teaching me. How many years has it been since your eye went south? That's been a long time ago. Who was a baby? Jonathan was a baby. I probably told you all this story before. Paisley got some weird eye thing and her eyes wouldn't stop shaking. And that's a, a difficult thing for a homeschool teacher. They were doing this all the time. And so we went to uh, Birmingham, UAB, to an eye specialist. He sits her down and he looks through the, uh, you know, whatever, microscope to see in her eyes. And he immediately walks out of the room. And he looks and he leaves. Didn't say a word. In comes another doctor. He gets in there. He looks. He looks at him. Can't believe it. He leaves. And in comes the room. I don't know. Half a dozen of them. Half a dozen doctors are in the room. They line up beside the microscope and they're looking and they're shaking their head. And they're looking and they're shaking their head. And then finally he looks at us and he goes, we've never seen this before. Like, what is it? And it was some rare, weird eye disease that the Lord's taken away. But he said, we've only read about this. In fact, didn't he say that the only person that they knew of at the time was in Australia? Yeah. 
That was it. He said, we've read about it and studied about it, but none of us have ever seen it. So all of them, the old, there was old doctors in there too. They wanted to see it too, right? So Paige wakes up in the middle of the night one night. I've got my hand on her head, just praying that the Lord would take it away. Just begging the Lord. She wakes up, she asks me what I'm doing, and I'm telling her. And she said, don't you pray that until he teaches me what he is teaching me. It's rough sometimes having a wife that's more mature spiritually than you are. But I have one, and I've learned from her, and we need to be that way. David's going to ask that the Lord take it away, but you do not understand if the Lord's brought it upon you, He's brought it upon you for a purpose and He's teaching you something. And so when you get to the other side of Psalms 39 and you realize all that David's learned, I'm like, do it again. Just do it again. Because I want to be more like Christ. It's, it's so useful when it's going on in somebody else's life. And this is the advantage that you have in the Word of God. This is what's taking place in David's life. Learn it now so that when it's going on in your life, you can take a deep breath, go back to Psalm 39 and go, hold on, I'm okay. I'm okay. I remember. I know what's going on here. The Lord's going to teach me some things. Verse 13. I find this interesting. I don't know. This might be a stretch of a connection. Verse 13. Turn your gaze away from me. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm verse 12. I skipped one. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my cry. Do not be silent at my tears. How many times does David appeal to the Lord to hear his plea to remove his hand? I'll give you a hint. What I find fascinating about this is how many times did Paul request to the Lord that he right remove the thorn from his flesh? Three times. I wonder if Paul was so exegetical, Tyler, that he was like, let's see, how many times can I ask the Lord this? David did it three. I'm going to go with three. But he literally appeals to God, please take it away. Please take this away. Please remove your hand. He makes the comment, it's another principle. I am a stranger with you. I'm a sojourner like all my fathers. He's like, Lord, I don't even have a home here. Life is hard enough. My home is with you. I'm a sojourner here. So Lord, please take this away. It's making this life even more difficult. And then verse 13, the close. Turn your gaze away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. This is a really good one. 39 is a really good one. 40, notice verse 1. I'll get to this next week. I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined to me. He heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and He set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. So eventually we get there. But where do you learn the lesson? Where is it that you learn? You learn in 39 because 40 is worship. So if you don't walk faithfully through 39, you don't learn anything. And once you get to 40, worship doesn't really mean anything to you. 
Let me close with this thought, and I want to hammer it home in your heart. 40 means something to you if you learned your lesson in 39. If you don't learn 39, 40's not sweet. Have you ever come in here and worship and it was just draining every ounce of you, ounce out of you trying to make yourself worship the Lord? It's just nothing going on in your heart. In fact, you catch yourself mid-song thinking about something entirely different. Not even having anything to do with church. And you, you pray real quick, Lord, what in the world? Please, you know, rope me in. Gather me, right? Well, if you walk through 39 and you've learned your lesson, hey, 40 is easy. Tears are coming down your face. You just want to shout. You don't care if anybody hears you singing. You're just so filled with worship because you've learned. You've learned how faithful God is. And He's taught you some things. All right, we'll stop.